Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Hi, Doug. Hey, JR. Good to see you, buddy. You as well. You as well. Here it is, the summer. What uh, what what is the summer bringing for you in in sort of this pandemic summer? A lot of things here in Pennsylvania are canceled and not open, and we're not even in. You know, it, anyway, it's just a strange time. What does that look like for you and your family uh, and as a pastor? Great question. So in some ways, it, it's, it, well, first of all, it looks really different. I feel like this summer, uh, you know, I think last year we, we, we talked about how the summer is the church's winter for many yeah. people. And this feels like the winter is the church's winter. For, it, like, <laughs> I don't even know. There's just, there's the rules dust, are out yeah, the window this year. Just clouds <laughs> coming, pandemics, like all kinds of wild stuff. Um, but I think for us, we've really, we're really trying to settle into finding small local things that we can do on on a regular basis, just so we have things to look forward to. Mm. I feel like one of the most important things that we're adopting this summer is just to have um, a bit more of a planned um, things just to be able to break up the monotony of what things have been like. And so we are fortunate um, in that we are able to get away uh, at least once this summer for a little bit more of an extended time. But, but we realize that we're super blessed in that and not, not many people are able to do that. So that's something we're looking forward to. I think too, like, um, I don't know about you, but I've also been feeling probably a little extra tired, um, up until just a few days ago. And, uh, I think some of that is, is probably just fatigue from all that's been going on. But I think the encouraging part is, um, I'm just noticing like a refreshing season that seems to be happening. Not, not big. It feels more miniature. Um, but I think a lot of that's just coming from the perspective of feeling like God's still got this. Like, I'm my faith has not wavered. I've had some really hard days, some really good days, but the summer feels like it still feels like a reset. And I feel like I need to tell myself the summer's a reset, whether it's huh. pandemic or not. This is the time of year when things do slow down a bit and I have an opportunity to reset. So, how yeah. about you, JR? I know your summer has been impacted greatly. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, from March until December, all of my speaking engagements have been canceled. So, I'm normally used to traveling one or two times a month. So, that's that's certainly been uh, unique. Yeah, instead of a vacation uh, somewhere, you know, we always visit family, extended family who don't live in the area. Um, it, that's not happening in terms of us going and doing that this year. So we're, we're doing just a weekend away to, to, uh, to kind of a cabin up in the Pocono mountains, uh, which is great. And then I've just decided, and, and this is different. Uh, I've never done this before of taking off almost every Friday, the rest of the summer hmm. and just sort of taking my vacation sort of one day at a time. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but I just know like you, I've been, um, I, I think about, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it just, it it hit me of how exhausted I am with the last few months uh, and just the push and so grateful to serve leaders, but realizing I need to take care of myself and I'm more tired uh, and depleted than I thought. And so for me, it was just like kind of sitting down and writing to my job description, like your job is to reset, replenish, be renewed and rejuvenated by Labor Day. Mm. Now, was that possible? I, I hope so. But part of that is those Fridays. And you know me, I need to be out on the water. And so mm. getting my canoe out and, and you know, going to different different lakes in the area, going to the shore, 
you know, just being around water for me is so important. Mm. And so, yeah, that's, this is going to be a really strange summer, um, for us, uh, but, uh, but an important one in terms of our own and my own just recovery and rejuvenation. I think that's yeah. really important. This for you, Doug was really unique because this summer you're supposed to be on sabbatical. So what is yeah. that like to plan and try to be refreshed when you thought you were going to be refreshed in sort of an <laughs> epic way? Yeah. It's been postponed to next summer because of the, the pandemic. What is that like trying to like regroup to, to plan for, for vacation? That's a great question. Uh, I, it, it really feels like I've had to rally again and again and again. Um, it, it's the right decision. I mean, absolutely, it's the right decision to, to hold off. And some of it's because so much of our, our sabbat, so much of the sabbatical plan was for a lot of travel. Um, yeah. and we were super blessed. Our, our, you know, our church surprised us. I, I applied for a grant and did not receive the grant. And our church was like, oh, heck no. And they rallied together and were able to, to put together just a beautiful, a beautiful gift to me and my family to be able to travel and do some of the things. So I'm grieving that. I mean, I think the, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm supposed to, uh, this upcoming Sunday. So this, this will be, you know, this upcoming Sunday for me was the day it was supposed to start. And so it's just been kind of a a surreal place of, you know, some days being just super bummed and other days just trying to be like, Oh, we'll just get through it again. And, you know, it's just one more year. I think it's hard because it's been a two year process of Mm. like planning it and getting ready for it. And then when this thing kind of happened, it just felt like, yeah, just sort of knocked the wind out of my sails a bit. But I think all that to say, we're still, I mean, the summer is still an opportunity for rest for us. And so we're just trying to figure out like, how do we do that? Well, even though next year we'll have a sabbatical, uh, Lord willing, um, so grateful for just all the different opportunities that, that we will have in this summer too. And same thing for me, JR, I actually, I, I picked up a canoe last summer at the end of the summer. And so I'm trying to spend a lot of time on the water this summer and, you know, fishing is one of my, one of my outlets too, but I've just found so much joy, even just paddling, just getting out and going for a really long ride on the canoe is like so healing for me. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's like mini sabbaticals and I'm mm-hmm. trying to think about it from that perspective. Like, what is that? what does that day look like for me? And, and, um, yeah. And I think the other thing that's been good is one of the parts that was kind of nice about the sabbatical that we had planned was I was going to do a lot of home projects. And so those are still on the plate. And so in some ways it's kind of nice because I get a chance to get those projects out of the way. So next summer I really can be fully present and just rest. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Grateful for that too. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're looking forward to this conversation with our friend, AJ Sherrill, and you're going to learn a lot about AJ uh, in this interview and uh, it's, it, you're really going to enjoy it. But Doug and I uh, in, just enjoy talking with so many different leaders, but AJ is just a very thoughtful leader. What we're going to do this sort of summer edition, we're going to, it's, we're just going to, at the end of the interview, it's just going to end. Normally we hop on for kind of an outro with questions and resources. Um, but in this case, we're just going to let the interview ride all the way uh, to the end of this particular episode. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with AJ. Today's guest is AJ Sherrill. AJ is a gifted pastor, teacher, writer, and leader, and has over 15 years of pastoral experience in diverse church contexts, such as Los Angeles, Atlanta, Orlando, New York City, and the Midwest. 
Podcast. For the past four years, he's served as the senior pastor of Mars Hill Bible Church in Granville, Michigan. Before coming to Mars Hill, he was on staff at Trinity Grace Church in the Chelsea neighborhood of New York City. He's the author of three books, Enneagram and the Way of Jesus, Quiet, Hearing God Amidst the Noise, and Urban Disciple, Following Jesus Through the Gospel of Matthew. He holds two master's degrees in theology and a doctorate from Fuller Theological Seminary. He and his wife, Elena, have a six-year-old daughter, Eloise. But maybe one of the best things about him is that he roots for the Michigan Wolverines. Go Blue. I've known AJ for probably 10 years now, and he's one of the most gifted leaders and practitioners I know. And you'll truly enjoy this conversation. Enjoy this interview with our friend, AJ Sherrill. Well, AJ, it's great to have you on here, the Monday Morning Pastor. Thanks for your willingness to be with us. Yeah, really honored. Always great to connect with you. I think we go back about a decade. Uh, I think it was through our friend Keith Matthews that we were first introduced at an Ecclesia National Gathering in D.C. years ago. Uh, so I'm glad that, that that continues. And since then, you had gone from New York City to now in the Grand Rapids area. Um, you're at Mars Hill. A lot of people know the name Mars Hill Bible Church in Granville. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what do you do? You know, and I'm, I know our pastors, as they listen to, they're not all church planners. They don't come into a system at Ground Zero. They're inheriting some culture and some system. What is that like for you, especially the high-profile church of Mars Hill, where you sense God is calling you to create and cultivate a, a different culture that may be the one you have inherited? What was that process like when you arrived? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I would say it's helpful for any pastor to discern whether they're more apostolic in nature or if they're a rebuilder, um, you know, and if I were to differentiate that, not that this is like the definition, apostles typically create things out of nothing, um, and people like me, uh, much prefer to take some stuff that's happening and sort of, um, see what we can do with it and reshape and reform and, and see what God does with it. So, um, that's definitely what, what we had at Mars, uh, a 20 year history and, um, sort of a sociological case study in some ways of really a meteoric rise and a very national international platform. And, um, had its own story, its own journey, its own sense of both wins and losses that um, created a, a really complicated moment here. And in West Michigan as well, you know, Mars wasn't just like, uh, like I used to pastor in New York City and, you know, most people, whether they're a part of the church or not, have not heard of whatever church you're a part of. Uh, mm. In West Michigan, um, whether you're a part of the church or not, you've heard of Mars Hill and you've not just heard of Mars Hill, but you have a, a formed opinion. Um, and what was interesting landing here is that people had different opinions based off of the time that they were here and left, or obviously some people are still here, but what's, what was fascinating to me is whatever it is, if you left Mars, that's what you assume it is and will always be. So um, some people left for, uh, reasons of blessing and they went on, they just wanted somewhere closer to home or all stories that are really rational and reasonable. Others left for a myriad of reasons. And so stepping into this role, whatever it is that they left, if they did, um, you represent that for them. And so it's fascinating to step into that and to sort of continue the story. So if you find yourself in that place as a pastor, I get it. And it's, 
both beautiful and broken. And it's, it's a very complicated thing to do. Mm. I know we could talk a lot about the external like kind of nuts and bolts of changing culture, but I'm curious if you'd unpack a little bit, what is this like on the internal uh, dynamic? Uh, I mean, are you battling defensiveness? Are you battling comparison? Uh, what is that like for you coming in when you're, you have all these expectations, other people's agendas thrown at you, whether you like them or not? How do you wrestle through that in a healthy way internally as a pastor? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the uh, pieces of wisdom that was given to me coming in here, um, a friend of mine is the chairman of a furniture company called Herman Miller, and he's done some really great work with us, just helping us think organizationally through Mars Hill. And I'll just say that he said to me something I'll never forget. He said, AJ, business leadership is operationally more complex than any church, no matter the size. Let me say that again. Business leadership is operationally more complex than any church, no matter the size. And then he said this, church leadership is emotionally, psychologically more complex than any business, no matter the size. Mm -hmm. And it was like, whoa, 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 that's so helpful to think about. Okay, the nature of the role of priestly pastoral work is just emotionally, psychologically charged with all sorts of meaning because... Um, it touches the deepest parts of people. And so when we talk about people, not just investing faith um, in, you know, in, in the historic faith, but faith in the organization that is holding that together as a community, um, it's, it's crazy uh, how that works for people and how that bears on any staff of any organization that is called a church. And so for, for me, I think, um, I think what I find true for a lot of church staffs is a, 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 one of two things. Either they follow a really centralized model where the goal of every staff is to execute the vision of the senior leader, or they've diffused leadership to where everyone's sort of running in their own lanes, doing their own thing. And it may or may not be tethered to a kind of like centralized strategic plan. Now, I think there are like pros and cons of both models. What Mars was when I arrived, without any shade I'm throwing in that direction, it just, it is what it is. And there are positives to this as well. Um, I arrived to a model that um, it we designed an ecclesiology around a gift, a teaching gift, and um, that has... It's like some upsides to it. The downside is that you can kind of, if you're not careful, lose coherence around like, what is our strap plan? What are we really going after? What are the things that God has given us uniquely to do um, as uh, a part of the kingdom of God in this area of any given city? So, you know, when I arrived here, it was a lot of really competent people running really hard in lanes that may or may not have any coherence to the other departments of what we were trying to do and executing our mission as a church. I mean, you talk about culture working together. How about um, just cultivating that in your own life and the life of the other pastors and leaders on staff? So culture, even church culture is slanted away from encouraging health, right? It's all about production and sort of this industrial mindset, even within the church. So what are those practices or those rhythms uh, of what you do or maybe refuse to do that you engage in in order, to, in order to cultivate health in your own life and in the life of your staff? Yeah. So when we talk about the life of the staff, number one, we have devotion once a week together on Tuesday mornings. Um, and so that's typically both scriptural, worship-centered, 
creedal and communal. So we try to make sure all those things happen in the course of that hour. Um, another thing we do is there's a bell that goes off at 12 and three. And I've been influenced by both charismatic and contemplative traditions. And so um, what we do when we hear that bell at 12 and three is it is a reminder to stop and to reclaim the presence of God in whatever meeting we're in, right? So we pause, it's silent, and then someone just offers like a simple prayer of presence as a reminder mm-hmm. that, oh yeah, God, God, yeah, God, we should think about that. Um, so there's been times where I've been like knee deep in some vision plan or whatever, and the bell rings and it's such a beautiful humility to be like, okay, let me just pause for a second and remind myself that creator is here, that spirit is calling us into encounter, into, into presence. And so that's been a helpful thing every day that happens at 12 and three. Also our retreats, um, we've, we've made it a really um, sort of uh, dynamic point to make sure our retreats are not um, vision production sort of centered, but are practice and formation centered. So I'll bring people in from different parts of the country and world to do a retreat on, we just had one on healing. And what does it mean to move into emotional and physical healing as a staff? Um, because we can't offer that to our community if we ourselves aren't caught into the rhythm and the stream of that. Um, there are some retreats we do that are more contemplative in nature of being still and getting away from anxiety and hurry and rush. So um, we want to model out in our staff culture a sort of formative vision before anything else. And, um, you know, that's, I think that's a little new here, but everyone's really received that as like really good news that your, your personal health has to become a central value. Um, because if you're not abiding, what are we offering to the community? Mm-hmm. How about for you personally? What does that look like? I get the sense you're more of an introvert. You're more contemplative. So like, what's that's you know, that's important to you. How do you cultivate that even in your marriage and your family so that you're healthy and filled up in what you're doing, yeah. what God's calling you to do? Um, I mean, first of all, I, as a pastor, it sounds so basic, but I just don't think you can survive and thrive with any level of health without being in the sacred text every day. You know, like the daily office has been my jam for years and um, coffee is really important to my whole repertoire the the sacred pour over is a a, a morning thing um <laughs> it's just like it's part of the enjoyment of, of the body um but i um i begin every day with the creed um i actually typically begin it in the shower and I, I am prone to um sort of like functional deism if i'm not careful where i'll just do a bunch of stuff and assume and that's why the 12 and 3 bells are helpful for me to remember the presence of god and so I'll raise my hand, the yada is the Hebrew word in the shower as a way of like bucking the trend and the cultural pressure for me to think I'm alone. And so it's like my day begins in the shower with my hands in the air saying, glory to you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and evermore shall be. And that's just a reminder that I'm not alone and that God is here. God is with me. So daily office, um, I'll recite the creed and then I'll probably do some sort of contemplative practice of being. And honestly, if I'm, it's really hard because I quickly want to get into email and start productivity. And it's just like this constant, subtle, gentle rebuke of you're not what you do. (laughs) Um, You're not what others say about you. Um, You're not what you have all the on now and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So that typically goes into just like a five minute contemplative being sit where I can just be before I start my day.
We spoke about Enneagram and your doctoral work was in that area of Enneagram and spiritual formation. You've got a book coming out on that. So what, one of the things I love, AJ, about your, um, your your approach to Enneagram is that it's very unique. I mean, there's a lot of people doing Enneagram training and it's, it's good, but you're always tying it back to Jesus as the fulfillment of that. So I don't want to steal any more thunder. Tell us a little bit more about your unique approach as you approach this very important assessment personality tool. And it's a tool. I think, I think you just said it right. It's a tool. Uh, so, you know, this Enneagram typically it's put on one of two platforms in people's life. Either it's Jesus and replaces everything and solves the world's mysteries, um, or like sucks and we've moved on and it was just a trend. Um, and aren't we, shouldn't we be beyond this thing? Or it's like super new agey. Um, the Enneagram is like a neutral tool that is sort of renders the gift of self-awareness. It's certainly not the only tool that does that. But my perspective is that it has given me personally a language, a lexicon to get deeper into my sort of subconscious of things I hadn't named before to become clear of, oh yeah, 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 that's how I show up. That's what motivates me into my behavior. And that's how, that's how my wife shows up. And how do we talk about those things in a way that, um, sort of, uh, disentangles them first of all, from our identity, because our personalities are not necessarily our identity. They're just ways we show up. Um, and then how do I, uh, how do I use what I now know to move into spiritual practices that can make me more like Jesus? So there are practices, I think, per type that just are more helpful than others. Um, there are some types where I would say this practice is going to be really helpful for you because it's going to challenge you on every level. Um, and so I think personality and practices need to be further explored by the church rather than just saying something like, Hey, read your Bible, pray, give some money, come to church. And in 30 years, you'll be different. I don't know that everyone feels different. I think a lot of people just feel older and it's like, well, maybe the church, maybe we need to work harder at helping people understand their personality, how they're wired and what specific practices are really going to help them grow within their personality. Um, so that's a lot of what my work is in is on the formation side of self-awareness and using the Enneagram, making the Enneagram work so that, you know, I think Adele Calhoun said, it's like, you got to work your number or it's just head knowledge and it's just a parlor trick. You got to work it in order for it to be meaningful. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I, I, we hear the conversation a ton within, within our community around the Enneagram and just the way that people have really been shaped by it. But I think that perspective of recognizing how it's a pointer or a marker that pushes us towards certain practices or certain formation tools that really fit our personality or just the way that we show up is really important. Wanna, we want to shift a little bit here because I know you've you've served in different churches and I think, you know, pastors are thinking through transitions and is this just hard and do I just need to stay and be faithful or is this maybe something that the Lord's calling me into something different and we sort of hear all the like God told me or the Lord called me and those may be true, but sometimes that's just masked in our own preferences in spiritual language. But people really wrestle with what does discernment look like? And as you've transitioned to different churches throughout your your ministry, uh, the year over the years, how what what does that discernment process look like for you? How do you know it wasn't just bad pizza the night before? Totally. I I think the older I get, the more I've realized um, communities that I'm in need a parent more than like a, a pro, more than like a hero. Um. They, they need someone who's going to walk with them. I think even doing the hard work of redefining pastor and what that means, it doesn't primarily mean I get to get on the stage and display some wisdom or some knowledge once a week. Um, 
And so that's changed the way I feel about it. Like it used to be like, well, let's evaluate how Sundays are going. And if they're going great, it means I need to stay. Um, to take things into account, like hospital visitation and um, prayer meetings and counseling, things of that nature, where it's a deeper call than it used to be for me, is one thing I'll say. Um, I just evaluate it on a much different scale. And I also realize the older people get, like the more they want stability the more they want someone that's going to walk with them through the seasons of life. And so that's one of the questions that I'll always ask myself is, is this a people that I think I want to walk with for a long period of time? Or is this mm -hmm. rather a stage that's really kind of cool that I think could be really fun for a while? Um, and it's sort of hard to, you know, it's easy to sort of talk yourself into the former rather than the latter. But um, those are things that I, I think there have been times, uh, even in my time here at Mars Hill, where it's just been like, it might be easier to go somewhere else. And I've, I've just had a different evaluation set than I had years ago when I was in Atlanta or Orlando or LA or New York, um, where, you know, I've, I've had 80 year olds say, Hey, when I die, I want you to do my funeral. Well, that's a very different thing than I think I'm going to be in this city for a couple of years and then move on and do the next thing. It's like, not to say I have to stay, but to say that there are people here that are banking on someone that they know who has cared for them showing up and giving the eulogy. That's a very different thing than what I was raised in. So I think I've just become more sober-minded about that call um, and what that means. Another thing I would say to pastors today is that the church is a vineyard. It's not a factory. And I think that's the hardest thing is, you know, Jesus told a bunch of agricultural me metaphors. And it takes uh, historically 16 years to make good grapes if you're going to plant a vineyard. Wow. Um, I'm really interested in instantaneous fruit and like producing widgets and that's just mm. not the way of Jesus. Jesus, mm. anything worthwhile typically takes a lot of time. Um, I myself have taken a lot of time and continue to take a lot of time for God for me. And so I think having that pastoral approach that, okay, what I'm, what I'm going to do is to sow and to be a part of a vineyard, not to come like produce widgets in a factory that somehow sort of promote, you know, my agenda and my brand and my name. Um, and that's hard to do. Um, it just, it, that's the trudge work of prayer and fasting and wounds and difficult things that come up when it's just easier to sometimes leave. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, where do you find that patience when you're just at the end of your rope and you're just like, I just want a fricking factory. I don't want a vineyard anymore. <laughs> what grounds you? And maybe it's just, maybe it's prayer and saying, Lord, I just need your grace. I can't do this. Hands raised in the shower every morning. But I just didn't know if there's an intentional practice that you need to go through to just say, gosh, you know, Lord, give me a vineyard heart and a factory church culture. Yeah. One of two things. Number, number one, am I running from something? or to something that's really helpful. So if you're a pastor and you have some invitations in some other directions, or you're sensing maybe it's time to transition, I think I do the hard work of asking myself, am I more interested in running from something or to something? And the second thing is, um, uh, Ian Kron's a, a friend of mine. And I remember sitting with him a few years ago and saying, Hey, when, when do you know it's time to leave? And he said something I'll never forget. He told me, AJ, when it begins to affect your ontology, that's when you know it's time to leave. And I was like, Holy Cal, let me think about that. So an ontology is the, the sort of theology of being. So if you're in a place where um, it is so challenging that it's actually affecting your being, it's actually affecting your neurology, it's actually affecting your anxiety to the point of depression, that might be a trigger. Maybe that it's not necessarily time to 
to run, maybe not, but it is a time to check in with, I don't know that God's interested in our beings sort of going into disrepair. There's always going to be stress and things of that nature. But if you're in a place where emotionally you have just become unhealthy and it's beginning to, you know, you begin beginning to become the villainizer. You're not just the victim anymore. I think these are really good indicators that something needs to change. If nothing else, maybe take some time off and get some clarity and some altitude. Mm-hmm. So for you, AJ, what was the hardest transition you had to make? The hardest transition for me at Mars Hill was leading through such a deep nostalgia Hmm. and making peace with the fact that I'm probably not going to be everyone's hero here. I deeply wanted to be the hero of the story um, of of a really storied church. And, um, I think, I think the, (laughs) absorbing people's wounds is, is one of the hardest things to do as a pastor and reminding myself that it's, it's not about you, AJ. These people are just for a myriad of reasons. They're, they're hurt and they feel um, like they want a shepherd and um, you don't always feel like you're what they want. That's a hard thing. I, I get a sense right now as people are listening, there's a lot of people shaking their head and probably tears forming in people's eyes. Because I think you just, you put your finger on something that I think a lot of pastors feel in that space of like, you know, I'm what they got, but they clear, like, it's almost, it feels like they're pushing me away or, or I can't fix this or I can't help this. So we'd just love for you to just talk a bit of like, what does the gospel speak to that moment, to this moment right now, to this holy moment, to pastors who are just feeling that as well? To me, it's the reminder that, um, can you hear that? We have some business, we have some construction work going on. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Can't um, hear so for me, that's the reminder that they don't belong to me, that they belong to God. So it, it re-narrates the goal of getting them to like me. And puts the spotlight back on pointing to Jesus. I mean, ultimately, that's what we're held accountable to is, did you point them to me or did you point them to yourself? Did you point them to your platform? Did you point them to your book deal? Um, and I, I think that we're all going to have a lot to answer for someday. And I, I, I hope my list is shorter. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, 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 I want the Lord to say you were faithful in, in making sure that you didn't lose the story. You didn't lose the plot. Uh, and this, AJ, this isn't about you. It involves you, but it's not about you. And why would you think that if the one that you follow was misunderstood and went to the cross, why would you think that somehow you were the asterisk 
Have, do you not know? Have you not read your Beatitudes? Um, I think another thing I was really surprised by that I, I think would speak to pastors is I've always assumed in seminary, and I was in seminary for a long time. I, I love learning. But when you learn about warfare, it's always about what's out there, you know. And what I didn't expect and what I would imagine a lot of pastors could testify to is that a lot of the warfare we experience actually comes from within the church. And sometimes we're caught up in it, right? Sometimes we ourselves are caught up in warfare and in, in, in wielding warfare. So it's not like we're this sort of pure sacrificial lamb. But it is a sense that it surprised me how much warfare is happening that I've experienced that has come from within the body rather than outside. That's been hard. Mm. Yeah, a lot of those wounds that pastors carry, yeah, they're much more self-inflicted within the family, friendly fire, as they say, mm-hmm. than the enemy out there. So, yeah, AJ, we knew this would be the case. This is so good. We could just keep going, but for the sake of time, we need to end. But my goodness, always have been so grateful for the way in which some people can speak so articulately, but in a theoretical vacuum. Uh, others are practitioners who may not be able to articulate what they're doing. But one of the things I've always appreciated about you is the way you're able to think deeply and theologically, but not from an ivory tower, but from a place of practice. And I hope you always continue to do that. So we're just really grateful for you. Thanks for your willingness to do that. And um, even just, I love the way you're willing to own up of what you're not good at. You're like, this isn't who I am, but this is what I am. And this is who I'm called to be. And I so appreciate that. So thanks. We're really grateful for your willingness to join. That's cool, man. If I could encourage any pastors on the way out, I would I would just simply say, I, I think God has incredible plans for the body of Christ and to stay faithful and to see what God does. 